Wow, what an introduction. I didn't have any idea that Pastor John remembered that from so many years ago. I can tell you, we were borrowing a church from another, uh, we were borrowing another church building. It wasn't a building that belonged to us. So I do remember him pulling the stone off the wall. And I remember having to answer to somebody else for that stone that came off the wall. But God uses those things. And it was a privilege to know John then and to, to hear him preach as a teenager. And I'm sure that you're blessed to have him, as you are blessed to have a fabulous staff. As I've been so welcomed here at this church, they've taken such good care of me. And one of your congregation, Terry, actually, I got to meet her this morning, and she came back to share with me a Packers tumbler, a mug. She gave me a mug. I am a Packers fan, and now I know that there's at least one Packers fan in this church, so you're good to go. I mean, I understand that I'm saying that an hour south of Chicago, so I might be taking my life in my hands by saying that, but I live in Wisconsin. If you own land in Wisconsin, you're a Packers fan. It's the law. You don't have a choice. That's the way things work. So I have been a Packers fan my whole life. But I am so thrilled to be here. I don't know if you guys are Pack, uh, Bears fans or if you go down to Indianapolis or, or if most of you don't care one bit about football. I have no idea. But I enjoy my football once in a while. So I'm so blessed to be here. I want to talk to you on Independence Day about the idea of freedom. So thankful to live in a country where we have freedom not to be told by the government what to do, not to be controlled as we try to worship God. That's a wonderful thing. It's a great country to live in, and freedom is something we can all treasure. But what I want to share with you tonight is a little bit more than that, or rather this morning is a little bit more than that. I want to share with you what God means when he talks about freedom. I was looking for some non-controversial, basic, simple thing that I could share the first time that I preach here in Wheatfield, Indiana. And so I thought, let's talk about mask mandates. <laughs> yeah, nice, everybody laughed, but you also all stiffened up just so, who gave this guy a microphone? Who put him on? Do you, do you have any idea what he's gonna say? I'll probably challenge a lot of you this morning. I hope I will, but it won't be for your political views on masks. But it will be to bring you to a greater understanding of what God means when he says freedom. It's important how we define words. And God uses the word freedom. He promises us freedom. But if we do not understand what he means when he says freedom, then we run the risk of applying our definition of freedom then not receiving from God the things that he has promised to us, or at least we think we haven't, because he says freedom, and we understand him to mean one thing when he means something else. So it's very important that we know what does God mean when he says freedom in Christ. As we do that, I want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. He says, uh, <laughs> I lost track here, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the word we were looking for this morning. We found it. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. 
And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's ask for God to bless our time together this morning. Let's take a moment to pause. Gracious Father, you are good. I pray that you would give me the words that you want shared, that this message would touch our hearts, and that our minds would be transformed to think about freedom the way that you think about freedom, that we would experience true freedom in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the law talks about freedom. And in order to understand this passage that I just quoted to you, you need to understand a little bit of backstory. So let me do that for you. The Apostle Paul is writing about 2,000 years ago, and he's writing about something that happened 1,500 years before him. He says, Moses received from God the law. While he did that, he was directly in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, he began to glow. I don't know what that was. I don't know if it was glow in the dark, if it was some kind of radioactivity or, or if it was an X-Men thing or something like that. I just know this. Moses began to glow so brightly it annoyed everybody. So when he comes back and he begins to tell them, this is the law, this is what God wants you to do, the, the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible, and so on, he begins to share the law with them. But Paul says he put a veil on, a mask. He covered up his face because it was glowing so brightly they couldn't stand it. Now here's the problem, as far as Paul is concerned, the metaphor is this, the glow, the glory, is part of the message. God intended them to know that every bit as much as he intended them to understand the words that were on the pages of our Old Testament. But because Moses put on this veil, they didn't get the whole story. And Paul says this, today, 1,500 years later, 2,000 years ago, our time, he says the veil is still there. People read Moses and they don't get the whole story because they don't understand what God is offering. They don't understand what God is saying about freedom. And I would say to you today, we have the same struggle today. There is, in fact, still a veil in some people's minds. We do not grasp freedom the way that God intends it. So my hope this morning is that we can come to an understanding of what God means when he says freedom. So I'm going to do that by taking a two-step approach. On this side is going to be the law. And the law tells us what freedom is. The law gives us a definition of freedom. The irony is the law exists explicitly to take away that freedom. Can't actually give you freedom. But the law can tell us what freedom means. But over here is grace. Sorry, everybody over there. These guys are the grace side. Bad luck for you. Over here is grace. And grace, God says, this is what freedom really is. And if we can understand freedom in the way that God does, then when we, we receive his promises about freedom in Christ, we will experience them and not be frustrated and not walk away from God and not be angry with God because he hasn't lived up to his promises. We will understand what he was promising and we will experience that freedom. So as we take that two-step approach, if I can catch up to myself, I'll tell you this, a little spoiler alert. When we get to the end, you'll understand this. The best methods to obtain freedom in Christ involve a few things. Number one, you have to be really ambitious. Number two, you have to be really greedy. And number three, you have to learn to be a slave. So if that gets your attention and you think, I'm in, I want that, boy, this message is for you. But hang with me, maybe it will make sense by the time we get to the end. So ambitious, greedy slaves are the freest people on earth. On this side, though, the law says this, freedom is power. We start thinking this way when we're young. When I was a teenager, a car seemed like freedom. 13, 14, 15 years of age, if I could have a car, if I could have my driver's license, I'd be free to go where I wanted, right? That's freedom. I got a car a little before I was 16 because I bought it from my brother who was leaving town. I got a car, I got my driver's license. 
And all of a sudden, I discovered there was this thing you had to do. You had to pay for a car. And you had to put gas in the tank. And you had to insure the car. And all of a sudden, with this car, which was supposed to mean such freedom, I also got a job. And for 12, 15, 20 hours a week, I had somebody else telling me what to do every minute of the time. What I thought would bring me freedom brought me 20 hours of slavery every week. It was the exact opposite of what I expected. But that's what power does to us. That's the way power works. That's the way so many things that seem to promise us freedom work. The law says freedom is powerful. I'm just powerful enough. Nobody can tell me what to do. But the truth is, you never actually get there. You grasp for more, just like sin. We can, we can involve ourselves in so many different kinds of sin, whether it be drugs or alcohol or something else. We grasp for more, thinking it's going to give us this experience of freedom. What we really get out of it is that those things control us. Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, this is a brief summary. He basically says, everybody is going to be controlled. You will be controlled either by something or by someone. So we grasp for freedom, or for power, thinking it's going to give us freedom. There's a, a, a story that I'm reading now. Now, I thought the Herod dynasty in the Bible, in the New Testament, was about as vicious as a, a dynasty could get. They ruled over Israel, and they killed people to protect their power, and people were marrying their nieces and having children by them, and it's just an awful, mixed-up dynasty. I thought that was as bad as it could get. But I, I read this book by Simon Montefiore, talking about the Romanov dynasty. They ruled over Russia, 1700s, 1800s. That's good enough for our purposes today. They ruled over Russia, and as I read this story, I came to understand that it gets worse even than the Herods. This dynasty, they not only married their nieces and had children by, they didn't even bother to marry nieces or cousins or slaves or somebody who just happened to walk by at the wrong time. They'd have children by them because that seemed to be the way they were. When they got power, the first thing you found is somebody else plotting to take away that power. And when you read this book, you discover that just about nobody in that dynasty died a natural death. They were all either executed or assassinated, or sometimes it was the same difference. So that Catherine, one of the great rulers of that dynasty, ends up saying, I feel like a slave. Here's one of the most powerful people on earth saying, I feel like a slave. Why? Because even power which promises us such freedom under the law, really does not give us freedom. It simply gains more control over us. The minute you have it, somebody's plotting to take it away, and you have to start worrying about how to protect it. That's the way power works. That's the way sin works. It gets into our lives. It makes it feel like we're going to get so much freedom. But what we really get is in slavery. The law says freedom is this power. If I have it, nobody can tell me what to do. On the other side, though, grace says no. Freedom is yielding. Yielding power up to the Holy Spirit. If we could really understand how to do this, it would change so many things in our lives. We want to grasp power in, the, in this life because it feels like it will give us freedom. And God says the best way is to just yield that power up to somebody else. Now, you see it right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, which we read earlier. Paul says, the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, we all want to externalize that. We're so good at that, aren't we? We take a Bible verse and we apply it to everyone else. If only those people would follow that verse. If everyone else in my life just had the Spirit of God, think how much more freedom I would have. If only the government followed God's principles, think how much more freedom I would have. But you're not catching the point of the verse. 
You see, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. If you have accepted Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have received the Holy Spirit into your life, there's one place in the whole universe that you know for sure the Spirit of the Lord is. That's inside of you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is inside of me. Freedom follows me around. It cannot leave me. It cannot go away. There is no circumstance where I am not free. That's what God has for us. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what laws are passed or what the people around you do to you. They cannot take away the Spirit of the Lord and they cannot take away your freedom. That is what God has promised to us. But to get there, we first have to understand while the law says freedom is power, God says freedom starts when you yield up power. The second thing that happens then is this. The law says that freedom is anarchy. Over here you got the law preaching that freedom means I should do what I want. Now, the law will never let you actually do that. Just try it. See what happens. When you pass a law, it immediately takes away your freedom. The law cannot grant you freedom, but it can define it for you. And you can use your imagination to say, what if I could do what I want? I should do what I want. That's what freedom is. People who follow this and, if, and, and they think about freedom this way often say this. It's a free country. You can't make me. I'm going to do what I want. We all think that way. People of Israel thought that way years ago. The book of Judges in the Old Testament records that that. Uh, time period in Israel's history. Now, the book of Judges uses this as a chorus. As they work through the book, you see this over and over again. The scriptures say this, there was no king in Israel in those days, and each one did what was right in his own eyes. That's anarchy. Everybody's doing what they think is right. Nobody to rule over them, nobody to tell them what to do. What's the problem? Sounds great. Well, the problem is that as you spiral downward, and it keeps getting worse as you go through the book, you see them ending up in a place of civil war, of a tribe being almost entirely wiped out, of people doing horrible things to one another. And you understand this. By the end, they were begging for a king. The very idea is repulsive to us because we want freedom. We want to be able to do what we want. I should do what I want. We think that's what freedom means. But God says, no, that's not freedom. Here's what Grace says. Grace says freedom is transformation. I want what I should do. Just a couple of words changed around there. Such a trivial difference. Doesn't seem like it would matter that much, but it's so, so critical. Grace says, I want what I should do. The law says I should do what I want. Grace says, no, God's going to transform me. We saw it when the Holy Spirit comes in. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Why? Because he begins to change us so that quite literally, our desires change. I wish I could say he takes away all desire for sin. Doesn't quite work. That, at least it hasn't worked that way in my experience. But what he does is he gives us so many better things and the will to desire those better things. He begins to transform us from the inside so that we begin to want the things that we should do. Instead of I should do what I want, we experience I want what I should do. God put that into scripture for us. And he talks about it in a number of different places. This is the Apostle Paul talking about it. Or excuse me, this is Peter talking about it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, this is the most confusing sentence in the whole passage. 
live as servants of God. And literally, it's live as slaves. Live as people who are free. How? Live as slaves. I don't even understand how that works. How can that make sense? I'm so glad you asked. Paul tells us something similar. It's almost the same words. He says this in Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in love serve one another. You see, the opposite of slavery is not I should do what I want. The opposite of slavery as far as God is concerned is that he transforms us so that we begin to want the things that we should do, things like serving one another, things like becoming servants of God, things like building the kingdom of God. I'm going to explain to you why that is in just a moment, but for now it's enough to say that it is so. God wants to transform us from the inside because only then can we truly experience what freedom means. And God can do that for us. The Apostle Paul says, you are called to freedom. Live as servants. Serve one another in love. It seems like opposites. It seems like it shouldn't work. Our country was founded on these very same ideas. You may not recognize it, but this is what they were thinking. You see, the way that the world works is this. If you have no internal restraint, you need external restraint. And when they talked about our government and the freedom that we would have in this country, the assumption was that we would be people who were transformed by God so that we desired to do what was right. And without that, the understanding was very simple. This government won't work. John Adams said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. They knew if people are not transformed, if people do not become restrained on the inside, then they have to be controlled from the outside. There are no other alternatives that work. And so freedom does not begin when you get to do what you want. Rather, freedom begins when God transforms us so that we desire the very things that we ought to do. Ben Franklin, not at all a Christian, but at least probably a believer in God, said the same thing. Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As uh, as nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. God desires to transform us so that we don't need outside masters. In fact, to the point where it literally does not matter who masters over us or who is the political government on earth, it is possible for a believer in Christ to have freedom at all times. And that is something that could only happen as God transforms us. And so... Um, the third thing is this. So the first step was, the law says freedom is power. Grace says no, freedom is when you yield up power. By the way, when we yield up power to the Holy Spirit, you don't get to uh, sort of chicken out there and say, well, I'm yielding up to God, but I'm not going to follow other people. Both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul follow this track to which they eventually say, and by the way, God puts human people in authority over you. And those are part of the process of submitting to God's authority as well. Wish I could take you off of that hook, but I can't. God still has those as part of what it means to submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when God places someone and gives them authority, we are supposed to respect that authority. So the law says freedom is power. Grace says freedom is yielding up that power to the Holy Spirit. The law says, well, freedom is, is anarchy. I, I should do what I want. Grace says, no, freedom means transformation. I begin to want what I should do. And then finally, the law says freedom is apathy. Now, you don't always get there, 
But we can get to this place in our lives where we are so apathetic, where we just don't care anymore, where we don't care if we live or die, where we don't care what sort of, um, what sort of happens to our possessions or what glory we have or what notoriety we have in life. We just don't care. And that feels like a form of freedom. Janis Joplin sang about that in the song, Me and Bobby McGee. She said, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. And it can feel like a kind of freedom. And the irony is, it's so close. It's so close. It's almost there. It's actually pretty close to what the Bible says. Except that the Bible says something almost exactly opposite, which is that freedom is not about not caring anymore. It's about caring so passionately. It's about being greedy and ambitious for power and seeking after glory. Just not the normal kind that you're used to here on earth. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you. The Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yeah, what shall I choose? I do not know. Now, if ever there was a point where you really don't have a choice, the Apostle Paul was at that point. He was in prison and probably about to die. The best information we have says he probably did die. The Roman emperor ordered his execution not too long after he pens these words. But that really wasn't the point. The point wasn't the choice. The point was Paul was saying this. If I die, if the emperor says, kill him, we can't have those Christians around, Paul says, that's great. I go to heaven, I experience glory, and the very act of killing me, the emperor is going to build up even more treasure in heaven. I'm going to be building the kingdom of God even by dying for it so that I have nothing to lose. Now, if I go on living in the flesh, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back and I'm going to minister. And I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm going to share Christ with people. And I'm going to build the kingdom of God. And guess what? I'm going to build up treasure in heaven. There's literally no way to lose. I can't, I can't lose. This is a great situation. Can you imagine the freedom if we could truly believe that? I don't think I can. I don't think I'm there yet. But God can take us to a place. He can transform us to a place where we understand what's waiting for us in heaven so that nothing that happens on earth becomes anything other than an opportunity to build up more glory, more treasure, more power in heaven where we'll have it for all of eternity. What you get in this life is fleeting. If it's power, it can be taken away. If it's wealth, it can be destroyed. It doesn't matter. We can, we can desire those things here. We can seek after them and pretty soon they are controlling us. Paul tells us everybody's going to be controlled by something. It's in Romans chapter 6. Everybody is enslaved to something. Is it not better to be enslaved to the things that are going to last forever? Is it not better to be controlled by the desires that God put into our hearts to seek after glory and power and wealth, but not here? Is it not better to build the kingdom so that I have something nobody else can take away? Nobody else can mess with it. That's the kind of freedom that God offers us in Christ. The freedom of knowing there's nothing anybody can do to take away what you have laid up in heaven. Well, Jesus himself commands this. You'll notice it's not even a suggestion, it's actually a command. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. We're supposed to be ambitious. We're supposed to be laying up treasures. God commands us to do it, and then he gives us the desire to do it. And that's the beautiful thing about this. It's a three-step process. The first step is to yield power. When we realize that freedom isn't power, freedom is yielding up that power to God. The second step is to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. I should do what I want becomes I want what I should do. And then the third step is to begin to do this building, this work of the kingdom. Maybe it's serving at church. Maybe it's using the gifts and talents and wealth that God has given to you to bring glory to God and to bring people into his kingdom. Whatever that looks like for you. Everything that God has given to you, including even your life itself, he gave to you as a tool. Something that you are to use to build his kingdom. Not just to build his kingdom, but to build up the treasure that you will have one day when you get to heaven. And when you begin to do that, everything changes. And the freedom that you experience comes from the knowledge that nobody else has any control left over you at all. Sin doesn't control us. He doesn't take away the desire to sin. He just gives us desires that are better. Power doesn't control us. A need to protect our wealth doesn't control us. I've seen so many people who are given things by God and they feel like their job is to protect those things. I've had people tell me, I can't have teenagers riding in my car. They might spill something. Yeah, they probably will. That's what teenagers do. God gave you that car to, to what, enshrine it and put it on a shelf? No, he gave it to you to use to build his kingdom. Whatever it is that you have, God has given it to you. Whoever it is that you are, God has made you that person so that you can build his kingdom and at the same time build up for yourself a treasure and a glory and a power in heaven that is unequaled. As we do that, freedom just comes naturally because it makes no difference what the world does anymore. All it is is more opportunities to lay up treasures in heaven. God gave us those things as a tool. Now, I'm a, I, I dabble in carpentry. I dabble just a little bit, okay? I saw a sign as I was driving down here. I stopped in a gas station, and I saw a sign that said this. It said, when a man says he's going to get a project done, he means it. There's no need to remind him every six months. Uh, I'm not saying that's me, but it was just a week or two ago that I put the last pieces of siding on the garage edition that I started last summer. So it may be that I'm not always prompt in getting things done. But I do like to dabble in carpentry. But my tools are kind of intermediate. Let's imagine that I go out and I buy a brand new expensive tool. We'll just make it a simple one, a DeWalt, a drill. We all know what a drill is. And so I can say, well, I buy one and I take it home and I take it out of the package. Brand new, shiny, looks glorious. It's a wonderful thing. And I think, oh, this is phenomenal. And I drool over it as only someone who enjoys carpentry can drool over tools. And I, I look at this DeWalt tool. Now, if you were to come back a year later and you were to look at that tool and it still looks like it just came out of the box and there's not a scratch on it and there's no paint drips on it and there's no sheetrock mud and there's no blood. This is a standing joke between my dad and I. It used to be we would measure the value of a project by how much blood it took out of us to actually finish that project whether it's carpentry or auto mechanics or whatever, which might tell you why I'm a professional youth minister, not a professional construction worker. You can process that one for yourself. But if, I were to, if you were to come back in a year and you see this tool and it still looks brand new, you're going to know something is wrong. Why? I didn't buy it 
to frame it or put it in a glass case on a shelf so I could look at it. I didn't buy it to protect it. I bought it to use it so I could build something with it. The beautiful thing about building for the kingdom of God is he pays better than anybody else. It's out of this world. The payment is incredible. And it's freeing because nobody can mess with it. Nobody can take it away from you. When we understand that freedom is not about power, it's about yielding power. When we begin to grasp the idea that freedom is not anarchy, it's transformation. And then finally, when we understand that it's not about apathy, it's not about I don't care, but rather but passionately desiring my life to mean something for all of eternity. Then we're at the point where we can experience what God means when he says freedom. And you can lay up for yourself a treasure in heaven that no one can take away from you. As we, as we wrestle on this 4th of July, as we celebrate freedom, and we should celebrate the freedom we have in this country, I'm so thankful for it. God intends for us to do so much more than that. He intends for us to understand what the people who received the book of Hebrews understood. That what he has given to us, he gave us for the purpose of building up a treasure in heaven. And by doing that, to experience a freedom the world can't even grasp. Those people, the author of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 38. He says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because why? How can you joyfully accept the confiscation of your property? Man, if somebody takes away my car or my house, my truck actually, I would be frustrated. I would be angry. But these people joyfully accepted it when people took away their property. Why? Because you know that you yourself have better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You see, the freedom that God offers us is not the freedom of I should do what I want. The freedom that God offers us is the freedom to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God so that we begin to build up treasures in heaven that nobody else can mess with. And we don't have to worry about protecting them. And we don't have to dedicate and become enslaved or controlled by our desire to worry about whether we can control our wealth or whether we have enough because we have a wealth that no one can touch. And if the world takes it away from us, all that does is lay up for us even more treasures in heaven. My friends, if you can come to understand this, freedom is not power. Freedom is yielding power to the Holy Spirit. Freedom is not um, anarchy. Freedom is transformation by the Holy Spirit. And freedom is not apathy, but rather an ambitious, greedy desire to become a slave, a servant who just builds the kingdom of God. As you do that, then the Holy Spirit can use you to build the kingdom of God and you will at the same time be laying up power and glory and wealth that no one else can mess with. It's an incredible thing. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and if he has, I want you to understand that the same option that usually exists for you exists today. Maybe there's something that has been controlling you and you struggle to figure out how to get free. Maybe 
You just want to know, how is it that I can take what I have and serve more effectively? Your church makes it really easy. If you just step through and you text, I'm in, I'm in, 474747, grab your cell phone and do that. Somebody from the church reaches out to you. It's about as easy as they can make, and it's the first step towards beginning to use what God has given to you to build up for yourself treasures in heaven. It might be the first step toward experiencing true freedom in Christ. I pray that as you celebrate the 4th of July today, that freedom will not just be a political word, but that you will understand God's meaning of freedom, that you will embrace it fully, and that you will experience what it really means to have freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You have given us freedom. You've given us a great country to live in, but you've also promised us, Lord, that if we use what you have given us to build your kingdom, we'll have that glory and we'll have that treasure when we get to heaven. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for creating in us a desire for that treasure. I pray that you would examine or just explode that desire into life and ministry and service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we finish with a closing song.